Blog Talk Radio. Amen. 
Hope this one's better for you. Amen. I know we got prayer requests. I was just talking to Maria. We need to be praying for Scott, urgently praying for Scott. Uh, just just pray that, that God intervenes and he, he starts turning around and doing better. We just really need to lift him up in prayer. And I know that it comforts him to know his church is praying for him. So if you're going to pray for Scott, I want he's watching this morning. And I, I know I know he is. So if you're going to pray for Scott and you mean it, would you let it be known by saying amen? Amen. Well, he heard you pray. He heard you amen. So praise God. Uh, other prayer requests this morning? Yes. Mary? Yes. Pray for Richard. Uh, he's, he's, uh, he's going through some stuff. You hadn't been here when we talked about it. I'm not going to talk about it on camera this morning, but he's going through some things that, and uh, and we just need to pray that God gives him grace through all he's got to go through. Yes, Brother Dan. Yes, you going to the doctor? Yeah. He's had heart Right. We're praying you get a good report, brother. Amen, Miss Charlotte. Okay. All right. We'll be praying for you. Others this morning. Yes, Brianna. Mercy. Hmm. Yeah, we'll lift them in. God knows exactly who they are. We'll lift them up in prayer. Others? Okay. All right. Anybody else? Okay. All right. Anybody else? Okay. How many other unspokens we got this morning? Lord have mercy. You know, God knows all about it. Amen. He knows all about the pain and the hurt and, and the grief, and he knows about all of it. And, uh, and, and don't ever think for one second that he don't know what you're going through. The Bible tells us that he was touched with all the infirmities of the flesh. He knows what we're going through. Christ, Christ, Christ endured in the flesh the pains and sufferings of this life. So you can't say, well, you don't know. Oh, he knows. He knows on a deeper level than you even think about knowing. So go to him and rest your shoulder. I mean, rest your head on his shoulder. Go to him and, 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 and tell him deeply what's going on in your heart because he can comfort like no other. Amen. Anybody else before we go to the Lord in prayer? All right, let's go to the Lord. Robert, take us to the throne. Amen. You can be seated.
sin and our guilt. Yonder on Calvary's mount outpoured, there where the blood of the Lamb was spilled. Grace, grace, God's grace, grace that will pardon and cleanse within. Grace, grace, God's grace, grace. That is greater than all our sin. Sin and despair like the sea waves roll. Threatens the soul with infinite loss. Grace that is greater, yet grace untold. Point to the refuge of mighty cross. Grace, grace, God's grace, grace that will pardon and cleanse within. Grace, grace, God's grace, grace that is greater than all our sin. Dark is the day that we cannot hide. What can avail to wash it away? Look, there is flowing a crimson tide. Whiter than snow you may be today. Grace, grace, God's grace. Grace that will pardon and cleanse within. Grace, grace, God's grace, grace that is greater than all our sin. Marvelous, infinite, matchless grace, freely bestowed on all who believe. You that are looking to see His face. Will you this moment in grace receive grace, grace, God's grace, grace that will pardon and cleanse within grace, grace, God's grace, grace that is greater than all our sins. Hallelujah. Greater than all our sin. Like I said earlier, it's all all your sin was in the future. So he paid for it all. Amen. Hallelujah. 451. The old account was settled, and it was settled long ago on Calvary Hill. <clears throat> there was a time on earth when in the book of heaven an old account was standing. For sin yet unforgive, my name was at the top, and many things below. I went unto the keeper and settled long ago, long ago, long ago. Yes, the old account was settled long ago, and the record's clear today, for he washed my sins away. 
When the old account was settled long ago, the old account was large and growing every day. For I was always sinning and never tried to pay. But when I looked ahead and saw the pain and woe, I said that I would settle. I settled long ago, long ago, long ago. Yes, the old account was settled long ago, and the record's clear today, for he washed my sins away. When the old account was settled long ago, when at the judgment bar I stand before my king, and he the book will open, he cannot find the faith. Aren't we glad? With tears of joy will flow because I had it settled and settled long ago, long ago, long ago. Yet the old account was settled long ago, and the record's clear today, for he washed my sins away. When the old account was settled long ago, when in that happy home, my Savior's home above, I sing redemption story and praise Him for His love. I'll not forget that book with faith as white as snow, because I came and settled and settled long ago, long ago, long ago. If the old account was settled long ago. And the record's clear today, for he washed my sins away. When the old account was settled long ago, and the last, old sinners seek the Lord, repent of all your sin, for what he has commanded, if you would enter in, and then if you should live a hundred years below, up there you'll not regret it. Grace of 
when they walk him up that hill. I just wanted you to know. Praise God. Abraham believed God, and it was counted unto him for righteousness. Amen. He believed in the coming sacrifice of the Messiah. Amen. God painted him a perfect picture of redemption. Galatians chapter 4, verses 21 through 31 this morning, 11 verses. We'll get through them this morning, no problem. And uh, God is, again, referring to Abraham through the Apostle Paul this morning. And we are, we are coming to, we're coming toward the end of this book. And you see it's all the same thing. Because, again, Paul is trying to rescue these who have gone astray from the truth. They've wandered out of the way of understanding. They have left the truth in search of a lie because they felt like, oh, wait a minute, this sounds more reasonable. Or, or actually, it should have sounded more unreasonable. But to them, for some reason, doing something that seemed nearly impossible or is impossible seemed like what they ought to try to do. Which, again, the devil will confuse you like a termite in a yo-yo if you let it. He will make you believe an absolute lie, and he'll confuse you, and he'll take just enough truth and make it look good. And that's that's what he did here. And, again, I, I'm not taking you through something you hadn't already looked at. We know what we're looking at this morning. It's the law versus grace. And, again, this is not a, a different argument. It's the continuation of Paul's uh, protesting against where they were headed in, in, in their apostasy and leaving the faith and trying to chase after the what, what had already been would it already been put away because Christ's sacrifice, Christ's sacrifice made it so that the law, uh, following the law, trying to keep the law, was absolutely unnecessary because Christ kept the law for us and became, uh, he became our perfect sacrifice. He did everything necessary, and he was the only one who ever could, and so God's wrath was satisfied. And the only way that we can come to God is through the door, which is Jesus Christ, because he's the only one who made it possible for us to come to God. He's the only one who bridged that impossible gap between us and God. Amen. Well, that right there's good. I mean, I don't know if you got the goodness out of that, but that was good. Amen. The truth in that. Amen. So, again, we're going we're gonna to jump right back into this. So, I hopefully your mind is somewhere near where we were last time. But we're going to use the Old Testament here. Paul's taking the Old Testament and going to show these these Galatian uh, folks that the systems of grace and law cannot exist together in our lives. Okay, so he's going to he's going to first talk uh, talk to those who claim the law. Okay, who want to be under the law. So verse twenty one, he says, "Tell me." Uh, well, actually, let's go ahead and pray. Let's just pray right now before we start. I don't want to jump into it before we pray. Let's pray. Father, I love you. I thank you, Lord, for this morning. I thank you, Lord, for these folks that have come. Lord, a good number of people here this morning. Father, I, I, I do lift up to you in prayer, Brother Scott. I pray, Father, for him. pray you touch him. Lord, I pray you send him healing. For, Father God, I pray for everybody else who couldn't make it this morning. Lord, you know where they're at in their situation. Lord, please be with them and help them this morning. Father God, I just pray, Father, that you'll speak through me and use me this morning for your honor and glory. Lord, may we magnify grace. Lord, may we magnify the blood of our Savior. Lord, may we 
May we show, Lord, the errors that are out there, Father, and, and may we be careful that our heart never begin to think that we can do anything in our flesh that's going to please you. Lord God, help us to remember it's all because of what Jesus did. That's why he deserves all the praise and all the glory. Please help us this morning, Holy Spirit of God. Guide me as I speak. Guide them as they listen. Help us now. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. <coughs> so, he says, tell me ye that desire to be under the law. So he's talking to those who, who again, they were all fine and dandy with Jesus died for their sins. They, they said, oh, yeah, we believe that. We trust that. We believe in grace. What's grace stand for? Remember, God's riches at Christ's expense. In other words, Christ paid for it, right? So he's saying to them, those of you who didn't think that was good enough for you, that you're now wanting to get under the law, he said, do you not hear it? Do you not hear the law? So he's writing directly both to those who are promoting the legalism and to those who have began to succumb to what they are promoting to them. He writes to those that desire to be under the law, living under law-keeping as the basis for their relationship for God. That's what they're wanting to do. They're wanting to get back under that system of law-keeping like the Jews that used to go into the temple and do the sacrifices. They're want, these are Gentiles, again. These people had not grown up under that. They don't know nothing about that. This is all new to them, and they're now desiring to become like the Jews. Okay? And they think that that's going to give them a relationship with God by doing that. Now, let me just say this to you. If you want to be under the law as the, as the basis of relating to God, there are some advantages. You want to hear them? Advantages to trying to be under the law to try to get closer to God. First of all, you will always have a certainty that there will be rules to keep. You will never be short of rules to keep. You'll always have a list of things that you'll have to do. So you will be busy all the time because there's so many things that you've got to observe and keep. So it'll keep you busy. That's one good thing about it. It'll keep you busy. You won't have time to go out and do nothing wrong because you're always going to be busy trying to make sure you do everything right. And second of all, you can you can go around complimenting yourself. You can brag on yourself. You can say, "Man, I'm good at keeping the law. I do so good because you know what? You 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 keep the rules better than everybody else. So you feel good about yourself, and you want to brag on what a good person you are to everybody because you're so busy all day long trying to keep all these rules. And finally, you can take the credit for your own salvation. You can boast and say, "Well, hey, I have earned this because I have kept these rules." So there's, those are the advantages to keeping the law, right? Y'all want to jump on board, don't you, right? Under the law, it's what you do for God that makes you right before it. What you do, not what Christ has done, but under the law, it's what you do. It's what you do that makes you right before God. Under grace now, however, which is totally different, it's what God has done for us in Jesus Christ that makes us right before him. All right? So there's a vast difference there, okay? Under the law, the focus is on my performance, on how I do. So I I need to be watching myself make sure I'm doing just right before God all the time in order to in order to make myself feel good about it, okay? 
But that's under the law. But under grace, look here, the focus is not on me at all. Under grace, the focus, again, is on Jesus and what he did for us. So that's, that's what God looks at. God's not looking at me. If I'm under grace, God's not looking at me under the law and going, well, he ain't doing worth a flip, you know. He's messing up. All right, left. So under, under grace, oh, it's what Jesus did. It's not me. Amen. Thank God for that. I'm guilty. You're guilty. Everybody in here, I'll raise your hand and say, I'm guilty because you're guilty. All of us. You can drive down to any church in town, pull up, open the door, say, y'all guilty? They all got to say, I'm guilty. If they're telling the truth, because there ain't a one of us that's without sin. Every one of us need a sinner. I mean, need a Savior. Every one of us is a sinner. Everybody needs a Savior. You can go down every street in Clarksville. You can run them every, down, every country road in Red River County. You can go to every place in, in the state of Texas, the United States, the, the continent of North America, the entire world. You will not find one person who's not a sinner that needs to be saved or is already saved because everybody needs Jesus. <clears throat> Under the law, we find nothing but fig leaves to cover our nakedness. But under the grace of God, we have the imputed righteousness of Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. Christian ain't got no business trying to live under the law. Amen. The law is not a covering. Amen. The law the law simply shows us we fall short. Charles Spurgeon said, what is God's law now? It is obviously, it's not above a Christian. It's under a Christian. Some men hold God's law like a rod and intimidation over Christians and say, if you sin, you'll be punished with it. He said, it's not so. The law is under a Christian. It's for him to walk on, to be his guide, to be his rule, his pattern. Law is, is the road which guides us, not the rod which drives us, which moves us. Amen? So we don't throw the Old Testament away. No, it's there for our learning, for our understanding. But it's not there for us to live under and be like like we're in prison to it. No. Paul said, do you not hear the law? Those of you that desire to be under, do you not hear it? Paul could tell they hadn't gotten his point yet. So, so now he came at him with another illustration from the Old Testament. Essentially, Paul said, hey, all right, if you want to be on the law? Well, let's have a Bible study. Open your Bible to... Genesis chapter 16 is what he's saying to them, basically. And if you want to, you're welcome to. Open your Bible, the word of Genesis chapter 16. But Paul, Paul took for granted that, the, that those he was writing to, they knew their Bible. Okay? So when he gets to Genesis 16, he said, what is that? That's the story of Abraham, Hagar, and Sarah. Okay? And, and, and so he, he explains his point from this story. And he does so without really telling a whole lot of detail. He he assumes that they knew the backstory, and uh, so I'll kind of give you the backstory. Abraham's old, Sarah's old. They ain't had no kids. God promised Abraham he's going to make a nation out of him like the stars of the sky. Abraham looking at the clock in the calendar, going, "Uh, God, you're a little bit tardy here." And so uh, Sarah's like, "You know, I'm I'm beyond childbearing years. There's no way this is going to happen." Look. We got this girl works for us, Hagar. Why don't you? Why don't you? You and her get married, and y'all you marry her too, and then y'all have a child together, and at least you'll have an heir. And that's what happens. So, so he he got he got her pregnant, which basically the housekeeper. 
got her pregnant, she had a son, and they named him Ishmael. In case y'all don't know, he's the father of all the Muslims. He's the reason why the Jews and the Muslims are battling today, because Abraham's stupid mistake of not trusting God caused all, all the deaths that have occurred. I guarantee you, Abraham's sitting up in heaven, and I guarantee you, I, I wouldn't know, I can't guarantee you that, because Abraham's in heaven, amen? But if Abraham wasn't in heaven, he'd be shaking his head every day. He'd be grieving every day that his stupid error brought all the death and destruction into the world that it did. But it did. All the all the head cutting off and all the burning people and throwing people off buildings and all the horrible, atrocious things that they've done through the crusade, crusades. Uh, well, of course, they were murdered during the crusades. But you you got all the invasions that they did and, and, and killing believers. And uh, I, can't, I can go into that all day long. I can tell you why they wear the feds hats and everything. It's supposed to be... Dipped in Christian's blood and all this stuff. Them guys ride the little funny cars in the parades with the red hats on. That's what the red hat represents. It represents the blood of Christians that were slaughtered. But that's but that's neither here nor there. But he goes, he tells them the story of how Abraham didn't, and Abraham and Sarah didn't trust God. They tried to handle it themselves in their own way. And again, what are these Galatians Christians doing? They're not letting God handle it. They're trying to handle it themselves in their own way. So, So Paul's referring them back to the scriptures. The legalists amongst these Christians, they presented themselves as a, let's get back to the Bible bunch. So he's going to take them back to the Bible. Paul's going to show them they ain't handling the Old Testament scriptures right, and he's going to show them a true understanding of the law of Moses will support the true gospel that he preaches, not what they're trying to do. So verse 22 and 23, the Old Testament shows us the contrast between these two sons of Abraham, Isaac and Ishmael. For it is written, that Abraham had two sons, the one by a bondmaid, that's the slave woman, and the other by the free woman. That's the, one, the, the bond woman, that is Hagar. The free woman is Sarah. But he who was of the bond woman was born after the flesh, but he of the free woman was by promise. The legalist here who was causing all this problems with the Galatians, they, they were saying, now, wait a minute, we're the children of Abraham. We're the children of Abraham, and that's why we're blessed. So Paul's like, okay, y'all are the children of Abraham, but you you don't need to forget he had two sons. And he said, one of them's by the bondmaid, the other's by a free woman. The first son, like I said, was named Ishmael. Born to the bondwoman. Again, she is she is a she is a possession of Abraham. The bondwoman, Hagar, she is his bought, paid for, hired help. And and she well again she's a slave basically, and uh, Ishmael again he's he's born to the bondwoman from a misguided surrogate mother scheme to help God that's what it was. You can't get pregnant, so we need to find a surrogate. We're gonna have to help God because He promised us this. <coughs> God made all kinds of promises in Christ. How many people try to help God anyway? How many people? They say, well, I know you said the blood's good enough, Jesus, but I got to get out of here to Florida. They're running around and taking all the stupid stuff. Boo, 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 I got to get in the magistrate and get, get wet in order because I got to help you, God. I got to help you somehow. I got to help you. Or I got I to gotta keep the Ten Commandments too along with being saved because I got to help you. 
I can't look at my salvation ain't based on the Ten Commandments, whether I keep them or not. My salvation ain't based on my baptism. My salvation ain't based on some some heebie-jeebie experience at the altar. My experience is based on when I realize my guilt and my what I owed to God, my debt over my sin. And when I came to Jesus and realized he was the only thing that stood between me and eternity in hell, and I said, Jesus, save my soul. And he said, I'll save you. And he washed me clean. <clears throat> I couldn't help him. You couldn't help him. If you're still, if you find yourself trying to help him get your hands off of it, you can't help. You look here. If you're trying, if you are trying to live the Christian life by you doing it, get your hands off of it. You can't even do that. God has got to lead. You can't lead God. God don't want you to march arm in arm down the road with him like it. God wants you to let him lead. I know he says, get me yoke with me, but he's driving. He's the one leading. All right, let's keep going. So he's, he's, he's using this, uh, this comparison of the, the bondwoman and the free woman, the two sons, okay? So he's drawing some contrasts here. We're going to look at these contrasts that he's using. The first contrast that Paul draws between real, sure enough Christianity and legalism, which is trying to keep the law, is the contrast between freedom and slavery. So you got one son of Abraham that's born to the free woman and one born by a bondwoman. And if Christianity is marked by anything, it's freedom. Amen. I'm free from sin. I'm free from death. Hallelujah. I'm free in Jesus. And listen, Christ made me free. Amen. He's made you free. And he, he refers to Ishmael being, being uh, his, he, he's the one who refers to the bondmaid. He's the son of the bondmaid. So, again, he's the son according to the flesh. He's the son according to unbelief. Why? Because they didn't, they also didn't believe God or they wouldn't have got Hagar pregnant. So he's the son of unbelief. He's the son of not the power of God, but the power of the flesh, and trying to make your own way and do it your own way before God. That's the picture of Ishmael. And, and it may not always look like it to everybody watching, but legalism is living according to the flesh. Again, it's not, I'm going to let God work in my life. It's, I'm going to work and show God how good I can do Legalism denies God's promise. It denies that God's going to work in you and God's going to, you know, the Bible says that, that, uh, that he which has begun a good work in you, will, will, he's, going to, he's going to complete it. He's going to work it out. I'm trying to think of him. I'm suddenly drawing a blank. But he'll perform it until the day of the Lord Jesus. I couldn't think of that word. But, again, what does that mean? That means God's not going to quit. God's going to keep working in you to make you into the image of his son. It's not you working in yourself to make yourself to grip to the image of Jesus. You couldn't do that in a million years. God has to do it or it ain't going to happen. But that's what legalism is, is you trying to do it without God's help, without God working through you. And, and again, you know, that's living like a descendant of Abraham, but the wrong one. It's living like Ishmael, not Isaac. Oh, Warren Wearsby, I don't know if you all know that name or not, but he's, he's a great professor over in Dallas Seminary. He said legalism does not mean the setting of spiritual standards. It means worshiping these standards. 
and thinking that we are spiritual because we obey them. It also means judging others' beliefs on the basis of these standards. Again, it's not God, it's a set of rules. That's what legalism is. That's what the Old Testament was, was a set of rules. God has given us grace, and he's the one that provided it. All right? So then we so we had the we had the bond woman, the one that refers to the flesh, and then we got the free woman. Well, that's the second son. His name was Isaac. He was born miraculously through Abraham's wife Sarah, and she was ninety years old or so. I mean, I mean, I'm, Miss Nail, if you came up pregnant, I think everybody be here would be shocked. Of course, I mean, now you'd have to have a husband, but you know, if you if your husband was still alive and y'all and y'all had another child, I'm, I'm sure Miss Shirley be shocked. I'm sure everybody'd be shocked. You say I'm due nine months from now. Well, everybody said, "Well, that's a, that's a that's a miracle, right?" Well, just imagine how everybody around Sarah felt. That's the work of God. He didn't do that. God did that. Amen. And again, He was born miraculously, and He's Abraham's son. He's the son of God's promise and faith and God's miracle for Abraham. I mean, it was a miracle, no denying that. So is salvation. So the second contrast that Paul draws between Christianity and legalism is the contrast between a work done by God's promised miracle and a work done by the real Christian life is connected to God's promised miracle and not connected to the flesh in any way. It's divorced from the flesh is what it is. Amen. We are to crucify the flesh. Amen. We're to take up our cross and follow him. So again, the Christian life is not connected to the flesh. It's a laying down of the flesh and walking in the spirit. So the third third point, verses 24 through 27. The Old Testament shows a contrast between Mount Sinai and Mount Zion. It says, verse 24 through 27, which things are an allegory for these things are two covenants. These are the two covenants, the one from Mount from the Mount Sinai, which gendereth the bondage, which is Agar. For this Agar is Mount Sinai in Arabia, and answereth to Jerusalem, which is now, and is in bondage with her children. But Jerusalem, which is above, is free, which is the mother of us all. For it is written, Rejoice, thou barren that bearest not, break forth and cry, thou that travailest not. For the desolate hath many more children than she which hath an husband. That sounded real confusing, but we'll straighten it out. First of all, he says, which things are an allegory? Now, I'm not going to assume all of y'all can just give me a definition of an allegory like that, so I'm going to tell you what an allegory is, even though you've probably read it before. An allegory is a figurative sentence which in which the principal subject of the sentence is described by another subject resembling it in its properties and circumstances. Like saying, she was beautiful like a flower. She, she, you know, and tried to describe a woman like by a flower. That's an allegory. It's a picture of something else. So Paul, Paul wanted it understood that he used pictures from the Old Testament. And his referring to Hagar and Ishmael were just pictures meant to illustrate his point. And now he's going to bring in another picture, all right? He said, for these are the two covenants. All right, in the Bible, what is a covenant? It's a contract. A covenant is a contract that sets the rules for our relationship with God. And Paul brought it right down to the issues confronting the Galatian Christians. 
these legalists there, they wanted them to relate to God under a set of rules. And Paul wanted them to relate to God under the rules presented by the gospel. Okay? And again, they were, they were for whatever, uh, they, they were for trying to pull them away from the truth, from, from the true gospel. All right? So he said, the one from the Mount Sinai, the one from the Mount Sinai, okay, he's talking about a covenant. That one covenant is associated with Mount Sinai, and what happened on Mount Sinai? That's the place where Moses got the Ten Commandments. Okay? So you have a covenant related to Mount Sinai. We find that in Exodus 19 and 20. We're not going to turn there. All right? This covenant gives birth to bondage. Why? Because they're under the law. Since it's all about what we must do for God in order to be accepted by him, it don't set us free at all. It puts us in bondage. It puts us on a perpetual treadmill of having to prove ourselves over and over and over and earn our way before God. That's what the law does. You'll never get off that treadmill. You'll always be walking it, always tired, trying to keep the law. You can't do it. And this covenant, again, it's also associated with Hagar, the bondwoman, the surrogate mother, who gave birth to Ishmael. Okay? So, again, the law, the, the law, bondage, Hagar, Ishmael, okay? So, so it's the covenant that's according to the flesh, okay? Galatians 4.23 says that. All right, this covenant corresponds to Jerusalem, which now is, is what the Bible tells us. That's earthly Jerusalem. That's the capital of religious Judaism, okay? So it's saying that that covenant relates to earthly, physical Jerusalem. And that's the way that, that most Jewish people in Paul's day tried to be right with God was by trusting in their ability to, to please God by keeping the law. That's why they went to the temple. That's why they did the sacrifices. That's why they tried to live by the law. But he goes on, he talks about but Jerusalem, which is from above. The other covenant, which is associated with Jerusalem, with Mount Zion, the Mount Zion of this earth. That's the thing. This is not talking about something earthly. It's, really, it's associated with heavenly Jerusalem, which is going to come down out of heaven, uh, God's new Jerusalem, okay? And this, he's drawn a third contrast here. He's drawn a contrast between Christianity and legalism in the contrast between heaven and earth. Real Christianity does not come from earth. Real Christianity comes from heaven. <clears throat> It refers to Jerusalem, which is above, is free. Paul's not going to tell us more about the covenant represented by heavenly Jerusalem, all right? So this covenant, it brings freedom. It's free. It's free because it recognizes that Jesus paid all that the law demanded. He paid it all. You know, again, matter of fact, that's the song I'm going to sing for the invitation. Jesus paid it all, all to him I owe. Sin had left a crimson stain, but he washed it while it snow. He paid what I couldn't pay. And we ain't got to pay that price. We can't pay that price. He paid it for us. The Bible says Jerusalem, which is above, is free. Let me get over and look at that verse. All right, verse 26, which is the mother of us all. That's a little odd language, but again, it's referring to where this 
come from, where the grace comes from. Just as Sarah was the mother of, the, uh, of she's the free woman, and Hagar is the bond woman, Hagar gives birth to a, a son under the law, under bondage, and, and, and Sarah gives birth to a free son under grace. Okay? So, again, we're referring to two different things here. The mother of us all. So the second covenant has many children. What does it say? The mother of us all. Every Christian who ever got saved from, from, the, from, from all down through the centuries, all down through the centuries, who all got saved by the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, they are in this covenant. They are under this covenant of the new heavenly Jerusalem. And every birth under this covenant is a miracle. Just like the fulfillment of the prophecy from Isaiah 54.1 says, it says, Sing, O barren, thou that didst not bear. Break forth into singing and cry aloud, thou that didst not prevail with child. For more are the children of the desolate than the children of the married wife, saith the Lord. What's that mean? The married wife and the desolate, Sarah, Hagar. There's a whole lot more Gentiles saved today than there are Jews. That's what it's referring to. The desolate have many more children. This is suggesting that, that it's saying back then, soon there's going to be more Christians than there are Jews. And that has been fulfilled. There are way more Christians than there are Jews in this world. So the fourth contrast, that Paul draws between Christianity and legalism is the contrast between many, more, and many. Okay? Uh, the, the abundance and the glory of the new covenant is shown by the fact that it would soon have more followers than the old covenant. So he, he's saying, you know, this is grander. This is way more grand. So fourthly, Paul's going to apply the contrast between the two systems. So verses 28 through 31, all the way to the end here. But we, now we, brethren, as Isaac was, are the children of promise. But as then he that was born after the flesh persecuted him that was born after the spirit, even so it is now. Nevertheless, what saith the scripture? Cast out the bondwoman and her son, for the son with the bondwoman shall not be heir with the son of the free woman. So then, brethren, we are not the children of the bondwoman, but of the free. All right. So he says, now we, brethren, as Isaac was, are the children of promise. As Christians, we don't identify with Ishmael. I got no nothing in common with Ishmael. Amen. Ishmael, again, he's the father of the of the the Islamic, the, the Muslims. And I got nothing in common with him. But I do. I do with Isaac. I can identify with Isaac because Isaac was a, ch- a child of promise. You know what? So am I. Amen. God promised salvation. God promised salvation all, to all who would believe through Christ Jesus, and I'm a recipient of that promise. Amen. If you saved by the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ, you're a recipient of that promise. You're a child of promise. The Bible says, but as then he that was born after the flesh persecuted him that was born after the spirit, even so it is now. So Ishmael and all his descendants persecuted Isaac and his descendants. They're still doing it. 
What do you think all them, the Palestinians right there in the Gaza Strip in Israel and all of the, 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 the bombing that they did, Hezbollah and all, who do you think all them people are? Them are the children of Israel. All of these groups in Iran and Yemen and all these, these groups that are they're firing rockets over into Israel, all those over in Syria that are trying to fire, who do you think these people are? These are descendants of Ishmael. They hate the Jews. And it's going to continue on until Christ comes. Oh, there'll be a false peace for three and a half years. But, there, but there's, 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 there's a cry coming for peace, peace, peace when there's no peace. And I didn't get up here to preach on the tribulation, but I'm just telling you, it's coming. It's coming. So, the fifth contrast that Paul draws between Christianity and legalism is the contrast between the persecuted and the persecuting. And the legalists, which are represented by Ishmael, they've always persecuted true Christianity, which is represented by Isaac. And as we walk in the glory of the Lord and in the freedom of Christ Jesus in the miraculous power of the new covenant, we're going to, we should expect to get some mistreatment by those who don't believe it, don't walk in it, don't want it. Amen? If you want to find out, all you need to do is make you a cardboard sign with a Bible verse on it and just pick a street corner in Clarksville, Texas, and just spend an hour and hold that sign up. And don't do nothing to hold that sign. And see if you get any rudeness. I promise you, somebody will be rude to you. Because your, your quiet holding of a scripture will prick their conscience, and they'll respond in, in ugliness. I've had, again, I have, I have done that in the past. I haven't done it in quite some time. Probably ought to get busy doing it. But I have, I have done that in the past. I, I've seen people come by, flip me off. I've had people come by, shake their fist at me. I've had people come by and curse me. I had a buddy of mine that we were out there doing it. He was a family video parking lot. Had a group of good old boys pull up the parking lot and chased him with sticks or something across the parking lot trying to whoop him for holding up a sign saying, Jesus saves. I'm telling you, there is a contrast between those who don't have it versus those who do. And, you know, again, Galatians 21.9, it, it tells us that Ishmael mocked Isaac. It says right there, it says, And Sarah saw the son of Hagar the Egyptian, which she had born unto Abraham, mocking. So, and this was, this what was happening was, is that Isaac was being weaned. He was weaned, and they were having a feast celebrating the fact that he he finally gotten weaned, and he's, He's, he's going to get on solid food now. He's growing up a little bit, and Ishmael's standing around mocking him. Now, I've been getting these little kids. But it, it, still, there's a spirit in him already. And and Paul may be referring to this mocking when he talks about persecution. He may be talking about something else in Jewish tradition, or he may be adding something by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit that we don't even know about. But again, he brings it up. And the persecution that Christians face will not always be by the world, but more often than not, it'll be, it'll be by the worldly, unbelieving, but religious people in the modern church. They'll give you more grief than the world will most times. It's those that have the legalism in them, but they don't have Jesus. Oh, they'll be your harshest critic. <clears throat> but it goes on to say, nevertheless, what saith the scripture? Cast out the bondwoman and her son. 
The answer to the problem is, is clear, but it ain't easy. We must cast out the bondwoman and her son. Law and grace cannot exist together as principles for Christian living. Can't. You gotta get rid of you gotta get rid of the legalism. You know, Hagar and Sarah, they, they, they couldn't they couldn't live together in the same house. In Genesis twenty one, eight through fourteen describes that. After after that mocking, no, there wasn't no more of that. And and God told Abraham to send Hagar away. He said, send her off. Get her out of here. What's awful hard of God to do that? No, God, didn't want, God did not want any more problems in that situation. So God separated them. So every Christian needs to send away the idea relating to God on the principle of law, the principle of what we do for him instead of what he's done for us in Jesus. We've got to get rid of any thinking that we can do anything for God outside of what he's done for us. <clears throat> but now we've made that clear that, that there's nothing to do but cast out the bondwoman and her son. It says, for the son of the bondwoman shall not be an heir with the son of the free woman. Now, wasn't that Ishmael himself was such a horrible bad man or he was cursed or anything like Cain? He wasn't, didn't have that on him. But he wasn't blessed either. He didn't have the promise of inheriting a covenant from God. He didn't have the same thing that, that Isaac had. He, did, he, he didn't have that blessing on him. That was only one person's inheritance, and that was Isaac because he was the son of the free woman. The sixth contrast that we, that we draw here, that Paul draws between Christianity and legalism, is the contrast between inheriting everything and inheriting nothing. Now, while the Isaacs of the world, Christians, may be, may be persecuted, we also got a, a wonderful inheritance waiting on us. Yeah, it may not be, it may not be a, a picnic your whole life. Somebody may criticize you for being a believer. Somebody may say, you Christians, you just think you're perfect. Y'all think y'all are better than everybody else. Well, they get mad when they, you know why? It's because they're convicted over their sin. They don't know what to do about it. They can't do nothing about it. They don't know. They don't know that if they'll put their faith in Jesus and they'll truly believe on him, they can have what we have. But rather than the rather than humble themselves because they're full of pride, they say, Oh, uh-uh. you're wrong. You shouldn't talk to me that way. You hurt my feelings. You hurt the way I feel inside when you offend me with your Christianity. Anybody can be offended by something that sets you free. But they are. <clears throat> they are. So, we are not the children of the bondwoman, but of the free. You know, one of the greatest issues of all this was freedom. Paul knew this. He knew that the bondage of trying to earn your own way before God, you know how he knew it? Because he tried to do it for decades. He'd lived that way his whole first part of his life growing up. It made him, it made him very zealous to the point where he was killing Christians and locking them up. But he also knew the freedom of living in Christ Jesus, of living as a son of God, as a child of God, free in Christ Jesus. He knew the difference. He knew, he knew the difference between the Ishmaels of legalism and the Isaacs of true Christianity. He knew the difference between slavery and bondage versus the freedom that he now had in Christ Jesus. He, he, he knew the difference between 
the Ishmael that depended upon the flesh versus the Isaac which depended on God's promise. He knew the difference between between things coming from earthly Jerusalem versus things coming down from heavenly Jerusalem. He knew the difference between between the blessings that were upon the, the many children of the Jews versus the blessings that are upon many more children who came in through the new covenant. He knew the difference between persecuting versus being persecuted. He knew the difference between inheriting absolutely nothing versus inheriting everything. He knew the difference between a relationship based on law-keeping and a relationship based on trusting God and what he said in his word. Now let's bring this all down to us today. Are you letting Christ live in you or are you trying to live for Christ without him? That's really what it comes down to. When you get up, I'm just going to make it real as I can make it here for the next few moments and we're going to wrap this thing up. When you get up in the morning and start your day, do you try to do all your things in your day and then suddenly remember, oh, I had I forgot to pray. I hadn't talked to God at all. I've been I've been wasting all my whole day trying to do that. Nothing's going right for me today. I wonder why. I haven't prayed yet. Or do you get up in the morning and start your day off with God and walk with him all day? I'm, I'm saying this. I'm not asking you to all nod your head. Oh, yeah, yeah, that's what we do. Be honest with yourself. It ain't about what you're telling me. It's about you being honest with yourself and God. How is your walk with God? I guess that's what I'm asking you. How is your personal walk with God? Or do you find yourself trying to do things to make God look down and go, oh, I'm so pleased with you? Or are you just walking with him? Listen, when I try to, when I try to, if I try to be like a kid, like a little kid sitting there and going to crawl mama a picture, look what I did. You know, God, God's not impressed with our efforts like that. God's impressed when we're, God's not impressed, but God's pleased when we're simply obedient. God's not looking for you to show out. God's looking for you to just do what he says. Just, just love him and love others for his sake. That's what Christ wants. He wants us to follow those two great commandments, love the Lord thy God with all thy heart and all thy mind and all thy soul and all thy strength, and the second is like unto it. Thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. That's what God wants. God wants us to, to get close to him, to get as near to him as we can, pray for the power of God in our life, be filled with the Spirit of God, and get out and just live and let God guide us. If Trusting in him, believing in him, leaning on him, talking to him, telling him about all of it, all the way. And I promise you, you do that for a while, and you, you know, you'll come back to me and you'll say, Preacher, I never knew my Christian life could be so good. Just try to let God drive. Get out of the driver's seat. See that bumper sticker, God is my co-pilot? That's the stupidest thing anybody ever wrote. God ought not be your co-pilot. God ought to be driving. You ought not even be in the automobile. You ought to be locked up in the trunk. Just take me where you want me to go, God. I'll be glad. Let me out when I get there. That's where I want to be. I just will soon be in the in the turtle hull, as my papa calls it. Amen. Amen. Let's stand together. Now I urge you this morning, if God's spoken to your heart, maybe God's just showing you, hey, I, you need to get some things straight. Maybe maybe, maybe I need to come and, and, and let God have me afresh. I'm not saying get saved again. 
I'm just saying, maybe you ought to give him back the things that you paid him and turn it back over to him and let him have you. I don't know what the need is this morning, but you know and God knows. Or maybe you don't know what it's like. Maybe God's just saying, I need you to come and pray this morning. I need you to turn some things over to me. Maybe you just lay a burden on your heart you just need to pray about it. Maybe you need somebody to pray with you. I'll be glad to pray with you. Whatever you need this morning, God, God's ready for you. Are you ready to meet with him? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, I love you. I thank you so much, Lord, for the message. I thank you for each one that's come and heard the message. And, Father, this morning, the best that I know how, I put this in your hands, and I ask you, Lord, please take me this invitation. Lord God, I pray for each one that's in here on the sound of my voice. Lord, even those who are at home listening in, Father, if you're speaking to hearts this morning, I pray they respond. Lord God, I wouldn't want to push anybody to do anything, but if you're talking to them, Lord, they need to heed your call. And I pray, Lord, listen to more. So they can make some decisions for you. Lord, they step out by faith and, and, and walk by faith. And let you have them. And let you use them. And let you work in their life and show them what it is to be free. Lord God, please help us this morning. In Jesus' name we pray. We're going to sing 157. Jesus paid it all. Sing with me this morning. Let's sing it out. I hear the Sunday school, most of you in here had never even heard of, 
But there, there's a belief out there, and it, it, it runs through mostly independent fundamental Baptists for some reason, but it's a false belief, and, and, and it's a, something called the gap theory. How many of y'all have ever heard of the gap theory? Not those I talked about this morning because, okay, you've heard about it. Nobody else has heard about it? Well, this would be an interesting study because, again, you'll find out. What you're going to find out in this study we're doing is that you've been given a lot of erroneous information, stuff that ain't true. And it's just blended in with your Bible knowledge because nobody's ever said, hey, that ain't true. And, and, and sometimes we just kind of take things in and, we, and say, well, it, makes, it kind of makes sense, so we just kind of accept it as doctrine. But we need to find out what the Bible says and what it doesn't say. So I hope you'll come back tonight. This is, if, you're, if you're a student of the Bible, if you like the Word of God, come back tonight. you get something interesting. All right? All right. Any word from anybody before we dismiss this morning? Okay, keep Scott on your prayers, okay? Lift him up in your prayers. All right, anything else? Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Let's ask God to bless us. Stephen, won't you dismiss us this morning?